Hey, I'm Scotty from Recharge. On this episode of Hit Subscribe, we're chatting with Stephen Tracy, founder of Keep Candles. Stephen shares the story of how following his intuition led him to leaving his job at Google several years ago to found Keep Candles. Keep Candles are a candle subscription brand that are working towards a regenerative future by prioritizing sustainability for their business and customers. There's a lot to get to, so let's get started. Stephen, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Could you tell me a little bit about yourself and a little bit about Keep Candles? Yeah, so I'm one of the, uh, the co-founders of Keep Candles. We're a candle company based out of Kingston, New York, which is about two hours north of New York City. Uh, and we primarily are a candle subscription company um, focused on uh, helping prioritize connection in people's lives um, and do that through the candles and then through the scents and through the stories and our whole approach to business. Sort of it's all about this idea of helping build uh, rituals of connection back into people's lives. So can um, so you walk, yeah, Sorry. can you walk me a little bit about, yeah, I've done a little bit of my research here, guys. Uh, you were previously at Google. Can you walk me through those moments where you were looking for those moments of connection again, looking to ground yourself a bit more? What was like the spark to pardon the pun that founded Keep Candles for you? Yeah, um, I think, you know, you'll find out as I ask these questions, like I'm a philosophical person and you know, I think humans in general, that we have an intuition. Uh, we, we don't understand how strong our intuition actually is. Um, but then when we really think about it, we realize we, we all have strong intuition. And part of that is just, you know, when people say like, oh, something doesn't feel right, or I have this like funny feeling, these gut feelings. And like, I bring that up because I, I would say not even just at Google, but ever since I went into my first job out of university in, in the UK, and then I joined Google, um, something about you know the, the world of large business, it never quite felt right. There was this intuitive sense of um, something is not quite right here for me personally. Um, and then at Google, interfacing like very uh, you know with you know, every day with technology and um, you know think being so aware of that world of everything that was going on back in the early sort of 2010 um, to 2015 when I was there. Um, you know, the growth of Facebook, Instagram happening. Uh, it just was leading me to think a lot about what is the world we're actually building with this technology? Where is it taking us? And I think there was a lot of conversation about um, the positives, but not so much conversation about some of the things we were losing. Um, and so one of the really obvious ones is we were beginning to mediate our friendships through screens instead of in person. And these were the types of conversations I was having with colleagues, even when I was working in technology was, now how do we feel about this? Like, what does it look like if we spend 90% of our lives on our phones instead of you know, around other people? Um, what does it mean when we spend more time seeing nature through a screen than actually like, being able to go and visit natural settings? Um, and so that was one of the, you know, the senses of disconnects that I was noticing. Um, and then at the same time, you know, in New York City, it's a work hard culture. It was definitely a company with, at the time, Google with, a, you know, a culture of, of hard work. And, and um, there were times where just the only thing that felt real at the end of the day was getting home, sort of almost taking off that, uh, that professional exterior that sometimes you feel you put on. 
and lighting a candle, opening a bottle of wine. And that was sort of the most real, again, back to this intuitive sense, that was the part of the day that felt like, this is the life that I want to be living, is like candles and wine, friends, okay. chocolate, um, <laughs> some of these simple pleasures. So those were the forces and the feelings that led to me and Harry, who, who ended up starting Keep Together. That, it was sort of these things bubbling away. So what were the first things that you were thinking you would have to tackle when you're thinking about making this company? Like, how do you approach it? Do you take classes? Like, how did you guys hit the ground running? Yeah, so at first, I don't think we necessarily thought, we, we began talking about how much we loved candles and why, and some of the reasons were because you know, they connect you to the present moment. You often, the sense can be very evocative. There was all these emotionally resonant things about candles. But the first thought wasn't that we were going to start a candle company. But over time, this was just over the period of weeks and months, you know, it began to sort of percolate through that, well, maybe it's not the hardest product to figure out where to, you know, we realized there were probably American manufacturers or other manufacturers, still not thinking that we might be the ones to make it. Um, but we were suddenly looking at the fact that there was a lot of new brands at the time launching in sort of unexpected categories so this was in the day of like these are wobby parkers yep um and you know the early days i don't even know if casper the mattress company had launched them but the, you know that's sort of these early days of unexpected brands coming into industries and sort of reinvigorating them and making you think oh yeah you know it is nice to have a pair of glasses where you actually like the company that you buy them from um, so we were thinking very much about that, uh, that what, what, would a, what would a modern um, future-oriented candle company look like and what would it do? Um, and then as we began really taking that into this idea that we were going to leave our jobs to start a candle company, um, we started speaking with manufacturers. This was one of the first things we did. And we realized very quickly in that industry, um, it's an industry that hasn't had, I think, a lot of people asking new questions of it for a long time. So we were just getting a lot of pushback that any of the things we cared about in terms of materials, um, we were specifically asking, you know, could where does the wax come from? How could we make fragrance more transparent? And what does it mean for a fragrance to be, um, you know, well-grown, well-made, safe to use and have an end of life? And these sorts of questions um, just had no resonance in, in the industry. So at that point, we realized we were probably going to have to either wait and, um, you know, maybe wait for the industry to change, or maybe we would have to try and make the candles ourselves and actually find the ingredient suppliers ourselves and sort of take on more of the, the ownership there of the entire end-to-end -end process. So that was sort of given to us as an answer. And I would say everything from then um, was just an act of uh, sort of curiosity driving um, driving us. Uh, I think if we'd known everything we would have to overcome, you know, we wouldn't, it's that famous, there's probably some sayings around it, you wouldn't have done the thing if you knew how challenging it would be. But I think we were just driven by curiosity and this sense that uh, we really saw that candles could be a beautiful product to be having some of these deeper conversations around about the kind of world we want to live in and the, the lives we want to lead. I'm talking to some other founders too, that they totally relate to that, that why not bravado of like, let's give this a try. Let's see how this goes. And yeah, that's, that's how these things start. It's with that like first step. So it's lovely to hear.
thank God you guys did take that first step too and did it yourselves. Um, when did subscriptions come into the picture? Like when you were thinking about this kind of like model and if you were going to go in that, was DTC even like you're mentioning like, you know, Casper and that kind of, was that what you guys wanted to focus with or was it kind of just taking it all in and seeing what worked? Yeah, I think um, we, subscriptions came up as an idea very early uh, because there was some obvious, I mean, I, I wouldn't say like I study the subscription industry and really know what makes a great subscription in general, but I know one thing would be like, you need to replenish the, the item every now and again, you, you're not going to subscribe to like a, a vehicle or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we knew that candles had this interesting aspect and in where you do use them up. We knew that fragrance as we, we spoke to people, like why did they buy candles? And we knew that people loved variety and loved um, seasonally theming sense to you know their own preferences so we saw that there were these this opportunity to create sort of a story-driven subscription around something that people could look forward to receiving a bit you know a bit above like a subscription to toilet paper which is a bit functional this could be the type of subscription that's a bit more joyful and um, and sort of like a present arriving to your, your door every month um, so I think it came up for us very early as an idea uh, I would say though, like in general, we we did think that we were going to launch online, but I think that the idea of, like of just being a direct consumer company was never something that we thought about long term, because I think you know we're like I say it was about connection, and I think people don't just live their lives on websites. And to me, like I have some nice online experiences, but some of my favorite experiences are in physical you know, restaurants, coffee shops. And I think um, I want Keep to be a company that ultimately exists in people's lives in a more present way. So we try and do that through the subscription box experience, um, you know, making that as much of like the connection that you're getting a little piece of us arrive at your front door. But I think also in the long run, being able to be present in the world beyond just a website excites us. Um, But so far, you know, the barriers to starting a website and doing everything online is obviously so much lower from just a setup point of view that even now seven years in, it feels going into the physical world feels like it's still a little ways off. Yeah. How is that box to, to talk about in particular and especially over the years, how has that box experience evolved? Um, if you think back to like that first box you guys provided and now what it looks like, what's noticeably different in your opinion? Yeah, and maybe, you know, assuming people are watching, you know, this, this in future or listening to this, um, I think we, there are many different ways to, to start a subscription company um, or, or a company with a subscription sort of as a core part of what you're doing. And I think we, from day one, had this really clear sense of what a dream subscription experience would be. So we were actually, we knew that it would be um, much more than just a product in a box. Um, and then our challenge was that we've we've really taken not a uh, like a heavily funded in terms of finance like we've really tried to grow a business that that covers its own costs and is a is a like profit or break even making business that's reinvesting in itself um, you know and I think a subscription has really helped with that but what that's meant is that we we sort of had to face early on that the experience couldn't be the thing we wanted it to be because we just didn't have the resources to make that real. Um, so at first it really was just 
a candle in a box with slightly better pricing and personalization. You know, we've, we've always handwritten notes and things like that. And over time, we've sort of been able to add in more of the fun, joyful accessories to now there's like a custom matchbox every month. You get a preview of next month's fragrance in a mini candle. So, you know, these are all things that come with their own expense, their own design, their own, you know, reasons you want to do them, but reasons why it can be challenging to do them, especially in the early days. So we've had to grow into our own subscription experience. And I think that's just been an interesting case in patience. And in sometimes just having to realize like, if you, you know, maybe right now you're not there and you do have the frustrating feeling that your subscription would be doing better if it were the fully formed, um, you know, experience that you dream of. But then it's really just being like, well, what, what do we have? And let's find the customers for whom that makes sense. And like having a sort of a stepwise um, fashion to, to getting to your dream, because I think it's easy to then feel frustrated or blame that for like if things are a problem. And sometimes I think one of your jobs as a founder is to just like, you know, get away from the complaining because no one's like, you don't have someone who's going to tell you to stop doing that and just get back to the optimism, the curiosity and the fun and be like, okay, so this is what we're working with. Um, how do we make as many people know about this, interested in this as it is? And then still, you know, we then we get the exciting news in six months time of telling them that we're launching a new aspect to it. So it's it's been a journey, I think is the, the short answer. <laughs> yeah, it's the obstacles, the way, you know, you just got to yeah. find these opportunities through it. And the most important part is starting. Yeah, it's just starting and just continuing to grow and learn. And just like you said, like keeping those things in the back of your mind of the aspirations you want to move towards. I'm going to yeah. read something I wrote from your website because I just adored it. Uh, it says, Together with a thriving community of keepers, we are excited to bring more presence, more connection, and more light into the world. Just loved that. And so I was wondering if you could share a little bit about your community of keepers. Really like that name. It's really fun. Um, and specifically the love letters you guys post on their website. I think that's like, it's, it's so nice that you guys feature those. Yeah, so it's, it's funny because the background from technology and actually specifically the kind of work uh, I was doing was very like analytical and looking at data. And so what's funny is that now I think in some ways we're like not a very data-driven company um, because we've learned that data, you can you can find data to like help you manage anything, but sometimes I think you miss the bigger picture for like staring at the, the um, you know, the specific information points. So the reason I'm mentioning that is love letters for us were initially this very, um, uh, spontaneous thing where we would just receive an email every now and again from a customer just out of the blue saying, I just wanted to let you know that this, you know, it would be either around a specific thing that happened. Maybe we replaced a lost item. Maybe it would just be about they'd been subscribing for a few months and they just wanted to let us know how much it had surpassed our expectations, but we would get these really sweet notes and it would be sort of the best moment of the week. And ultimately, I, I sort of one of the things I oversee is our customer support, or we call it customer love. Um, and ultimately, I decided like, that's the thing we should be managing our entire customer love for is these things that we don't get to control, other than the way that like we consistently go out into the world and treat people well and leave people feeling better for having interacted with us as a company. Um, and I think again, like we can all think to like when you've been treated by, I would say an airline to pick on an industry, but when you've been treated by an airline, 
you know, like you don't matter or you've had to jump through like seven hoops in a, on a dial phone support. And you're just like, this makes me feel like my business doesn't, doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And in some industries that's become the norm. So there's not, it's kind of like a race to the bottom. Um, but with us, we're like, what does it, what does it feel like if the, if before you've even, or even if you come at us with like angry energy, if we're just like, Hey, like, we're, you know, we're going to treat you um, in the best possible way and leave you, you know, our, our aim being that we're going to leave you feeling better via, via any interaction you have with us. So the, the whole reason for that approach is we're like, well, let's, let's try and like get as much of this love to come back to us as possible. Cause that feels really good when we get these supportive messages. So that's sort of one of the ways we now think about the, you know, the customer support side of the business or customer love is just, uh, and it's, we track it. So like how many, how much love do we get each week? We, and we can only control it through, like we don't do anything tactical to try and make it happen other than we just try and show up in everything we do with this spirit of like, let's treat people in the best possible way we can think of treating them. And so then we put some of these on our website um, in the form of love letters. And yeah, I, I, if I need a pick me up, I can go and read them because we do get these, these notes. And again, back to connection, I think it, it demonstrates that, you know, as human beings, we're, we're many things, but I think one thing we all, we all love to connect with other people. And we, you know, I think when you treat someone well, you get treated well in return. And I think that's sort of at the heart of our way of doing business. Really like that. I mean, you give a little love, you get a little love, you just put it out there in the world. That's so great. Speaking of a little love for the world, um, your efforts for sustainability are so admirable. I'd love to talk more about that. Uh, was that, and you, you did hint to that from like day one, that was kind of part of the vision of Keep, right? When you're asking these questions that these this industry is not really prepared to answer for. Um, so how did you always keep that top of mind? What was like the goals with sustainability at Keep? Yeah, I mean, the first thing I would say is just, it's like, is that it's, and again, to, to not sound like a cliche, but it's, it's a journey. And I, and I, I think we care very deeply about it. And yet I also feel like we're, we're, we try to be harsh critics of ourselves and acknowledge that we, we're not the world's most sustainable company or that these, and also just that these words have become, you know, overused to the point where there's skepticism around, um, you know, what companies mean when they say, say these things. So for us, you know, as, and you know, so without going into all the detail, I think, I think it's really hard. I think you, you're almost talking about changing like the culture of the way we do business and, you know, the whole culture we live in. So we, we start with like, if we're going to do it well, we have to make sure that internally within Keep as a small company, that we have a culture of thinking differently about this stuff. Um, I think our biggest guiding idea is that nature is that humans broke things. So, you know, we're not, we are part of nature. Like I really believe that. Um, but I think some of the things we've designed are sort of unnatural in their, in the ways they behave. So like plastics, um, you know, they take millions of years to break down. That's not something that nature would generally support because it would, in a small environment, it would end up destroying, like if something in a pond started creating a plastic like product, it would kill the pond and, that would be the end of that experiment of nature creating a plastic-like product. <laughs> but you know, humans, we've broken 
these cycles that the planet has existed on. So we we really try and come and think about like, what does it mean to run a company in a natural way, where as best as possible, we can think about ourselves as like part of our local ecosystem, part of our global ecosystems. And, you know, some some very like clear principles come out of that, which you know, I mean, hopefully people have begun to hear about. Like one of them is that nature generally doesn't have a concept of waste. So in nature, everything that you can call a waste product will actually be like the starting point for another process. Um, so that's the whole idea of circularity and cyclicality within, within nature. So, you know, we, especially with just like, we are, we've not yet expanded to any other product. And I think that's partly because we really care about trying to perfect and experiment with these ideas. Um, so with the candles, it's like, okay, well, what does that mean? How do we, how do we get to that point? And then that just opens up, you know, lots of different answers. So you can say on the ingredient side, um, that means growing things in a way like where even at the point where something's grown, you need to be thinking about, you know, our chemicals and pesticides and fertilizers that both destroy environments, but also don't break down. Are those being used? And if so, how can we say we're like behaving like nature when to grow the wax that we use, we're destroying environments, you know? So hence we care about the ingredients. Um, you can ask it of your packaging, you know, do you use plastics? Do you use things that have a, uh, no end of life? Do you use things that can have a second life? Do you use things that can be composted? So we, we try and apply that lens into, you know, every aspect of what we do. Um, like, are we behaving in this way that's going to effectively mean we're integrated within this great web of life or are we somehow breaking ourselves away from it? And I think once you start doing that, you realize there are opportunities in terms of every aspect of running a company, like how you treat people, how you interact in your local neighborhoods, how you think about working with suppliers. And it becomes challenging because you realize there's, you know, there's just so much progress to be made, but that can also be inspiring. And I think that's where we now get a lot of our um, joy is in saying, the world may be complicated like let's not let's not play around like it's a complex world we live in right now but what we can do is control how we go out and spend our time and live our lives and orient our own selves towards our work and i think that's just like a really empowering way to show up in your own life is saying i'm going to know what i stand for and i'm going to do my best to show other people it's possible and you know hopefully you know, I think it's, it's a fine line between preaching and just being enthusiastic and being like, look at this, like, isn't this cool? So we try and be enthusiastic and not preachy. Um, but, you know, that's tough because sometimes you really want to preach. <laughs> <laughs> Especially but, um, in the world we're living um, in now. But again, I think people, I think people, the reason preaching has a bad sensibility is because people generally listen to people but people generally want to listen to things sort of when they feel like they've made the choice so we try and do this through telling stories about the work we do we, we're very active on our blog on our newsletter and yeah we're probably different in that sense from many companies in that we've spent a lot more time thinking about those sorts of things than thinking about growth per se like we don't really have a ton of our time invested in any growth strategies beyond just doing, continuing to show up and do this work that we think is, is the right work to do. And what has been deeply reassuring is that we grow through word of mouth. So like free, you know, the free marketing, we, uh, 
we yeah i think i think we're just we're just tapping into that natural tendency of people wanting to share stories that they care about um and we're also reaching the point where we can stop thinking we've grown enough now we can start having some time to think about growth so i think we're at quite an exciting place where we've we've really been like trying to stay true to these bigger ideals for for the seven years of our life as a small company so far and um yeah, I'm excited in the coming years to start getting that story out a bit more widely. Well, as a citizen of the world, I really appreciate you guys focusing on those core ideals, you know, having sustainability top of mind. Um, something I've loved about your website too, and you mentioned it, you you are leading by example, but you're also showing the way. And I think in a really wonderful way, for example, like you're talking about mushroom packaging on your website, you're talking about coconut wax, but you're also like sourcing it. And like, I just love that. You're showing other brands, hey, these are ways you can do this too. For example, could you talk a little bit about coconut wax and how, you know, like it, it burns clean. This isn't yeah. like honey wax. Yeah. I'm actually going to give you an answer that you're not anticipating. Yet, okay. So. Hit it. <laughs> so you kind of preempted and I, I swear that um, you didn't, there was no like, pre-planning on this, but we're actually going to be making a big announcement in about, uh, what date is it today? In about 10 days, um, which is that we're going to be transitioning away from coconut wax. Oh, okay. And so... You know, if I can, I, you know, have a few minutes, I guess you're being very Please, generous. Please, let's do talking. it. But, um, so yeah, the, back, the background to coconut wax was this story of going out to manufacturers, most of whom wanted to just use paraffin or soy wax um, with this story, like nobody really cares. And soy, soy, you can call all natural. So people will be happy with that. Um, and we knew enough about the soy industry already to know that, it's one of the, the world's biggest monocropped um, uh, agricultural products. It's heavily sort of in bed with um, Monsanto and the use of pesticides, fertilizers. And or if you want to read about it, like the way from the way that farmers have been treated and even um, gotten sick from the use of these things, just like soy is unfortunately woven into that. It's also deeply woven into some of the stuff happening in the Amazon in terms of the uh, the monocropping of, uh, of the destruction of forests to make way for either cattle farming or soy. So we, we knew enough to say like, well, we don't like either of these options. So when we started trying to source our own ingredients, because we decided we were going to become the manufacturer, we were able to find one supplier who was working with a coconut wax, which was a majority coconut oil based product blended with a tiny amount of soy. Um, they wouldn't let us know exactly the ratio, but we were able to figure out it was around 80% coconut and then 20% soy wax. Um, but the supplier was still a little, uh, you know, the, the sort of, we got one step further back in the chain, but it was sort of met with some of the same concerns. So uh, no interest in telling us exactly where the coconuts came from. Um, a lot of the answers were just like, well, it's they're from the Philippines, but we certainly had no sense of, where in the Philippines, how are the coconuts grown? And at this point, you understand why, why we care about those types of questions. Like it's, I think it's not just for our own sake, but also because we're trying to demonstrate that companies can do this. We can demand to know where the things that we get are grown and how they're grown. And I think it's important to do so. So we sort of lived in this, uh, this world where we, and we very transparently tell this story on our blog, about coconut wax, that it's the best thing we could find, that it has great qualities as a candle wax. So there's no issues from the product point of view, but we weren't very happy with this lack of transparency of where the wax came from. 
So about three years ago, we met a supplier. Um, we actually went to a natural foods product in LA where everyone who wants to get into whole foods and is making, you know, like healthy bars and yogurts out of coconut milk and oat, all the oat milk, oat milk was like taking over the show. Um, they were like all the big sponsors were different oat milk companies. So we went there and we met an ingredient supplier who work with oil palm. Um, and now here I'll, I'll do injustice to the level of depth of the story, but oil palm is the tree that grows that is then grows palm fruit that then turns into palm oil. And most people have heard of palm oil and have heard about it in a very negative um, sense because it's been, and you know, rightly so, it's been heavily linked with destructive farming practices, particularly in Southeast Asia, Borneo, Indonesia, Malaysia. Um, and there again, it's monocropping where forests were raised to make way for just row after row of palm tree. Um, and uh, pesticides are used because that's not a very resilient ecosystem when you've just got a single tree, millions of them. And again, like human, the ways that humans are treated, every part of that industry was, was about extraction and dominating people in the environment. So good, good reasons for palm oil to have this negative, especially in, in that area. So this ingredient supplier specifically was created, they're called natural habitats, and they specifically was started about 15 years ago, um, focusing uh, initially in Ecuador um, to demonstrate that palm, the oil palm as an actual organism, like as a tree, is, is a great organism. Like it, it, it cr cr creates more oil per tree or per hectare than any other type of oil producing, um, like than soy, I think it's like 20 times more oil um, per hectare that it can produce. Um, it doesn't have much water resource needs. It works well with other types of trees and plants growing around the base of it. Like it can be this very um, productive plant without this need to destroy everything. So they have worked for the past 15 years in Ecuador to transition farms away from uh, mono monocropping or just traditional farming practices um, that had degraded land. Um, towards actually regenerating the land into a diverse ecosystem that in integrates oil palm trees, but also returns land to um, certain parts of land to like native ecosystems to encourage uh, more biodiversity, um, all organic. So using um, no fertilizers, using like the actual fruit and the leaves to create compost for next season. Um, just lots of detail I could go into about how they're approaching it. Um, and they had a palm wax product. So they, this was like, uh, and the other exciting thing we learned is they, one of their biggest clients was Dr. Bronner's who've been a big inspiration to us in terms of a company that really like stand for something and have fun doing it, but also really do the, you know, they do the work when it comes to a company standing up for something they believe in. Um, so we started playing with palm wax about three years ago and thinking about taking on this responsibility of sort of shifting the narrative that it's not the plant itself that it should be vilified. It's the method of production, which is a subtle shift. Um, and obviously people can be, can still be skeptical of, of that. Um, but, you know, with the research we did and, and our understanding, we really felt that like this was an important story to tell that um, actually we need oil palm in the world, we just need to demand that it's not grown and that we shift back to forms of agriculture that actually respect people, respect animals, respect uh, the planet. 
And that's exactly what natural habitats uh, is about. So coming to the end of this long answer, but we've been working, it's, it's actually been surprisingly tough for, for a variety of reasons to get the wax to perform well as a candle wax for scented candles. So we've been in the midst of the pandemic, it kind of got put on the, the metaphorical back burner, but we've been playing with this wax, trying to figure out how to transition our whole business to palm wax grown um, in, in a regenerative manner with organic certification, fair trade certifications, like all every level of stringent certification that's imaginable, like this wax has. Um, and we, we're, we're basically at the point where we're ready to launch it. We're sort of in the final steps, but we decided on Earth Day this year, we're gonna be announcing sort of this bigger story of um, why we're making this shift, this change of perspective of understanding the difference between a plant versus an agricultural system. So yeah, that's <laughs> that was not the, the length of answer maybe you were expecting. No, it's great. Um, but that's that's the sort of the level of detail we're interested in um, is you know not just delivering a subscription product and a candle, but a candle that has a lot of meaning and depth behind it. Um, yeah, so that's I'll so end neat. Myself there. <laughs> I loved hearing all about that. That's so fascinating. It goes to show the level of passion, the level of detail you guys go to. I would also encourage any other um, founders or anyone in the business who's listening. Yeah, check out like mushroom packaging, check out biodegradable labels. I think that's so neat. Even again, to think about the label itself and knowing, you know, there's ways you can make this sustainable too. So as we're coming to the close, these are some questions we always ask uh, as we get towards the end of the interview. And we kind of covered a little bit of it, but what would advice would you give to a subscription brand that's just launching? Just thinking about subscriptions, uh, if you can think back then, what advice would you give them now? Um, I would say, uh, you know, focus on, to me, like focusing on the experience you're giving your existing customers. So, th you know, that would translate into a metric as lifetime value, but thinking about that, how are you actually creating a subscription that people are going to want to be subscribed to for many years um, is the more important question than how you're gonna grow your number of subscribers, at least as an initial question, because I think many subscription businesses probably struggle with um, you know, people falling out of the subscription after a while. And I think that's because there's sort of an over, overbalance in general on people just thinking about acquisition and how to get more people in and telling a good story, but not actually living up to that with the experience. So I think just thinking about like how, and again, I think that comes out of metrics and just comes about how do you treat people really well? Like what does, what does a really great ex experience for whatever the product is you're trying to sell? Like, what does it really look like? Does it mean giving people full control does it mean offering, you know, easy ways to change things and, yeah, spend time speaking with people about that, you know, like get to know your subscription customer, get to know your potential subscription customer, even if you haven't. Um, and then I think a lot of the strategy and, you know, how to then build the subscription will come from that. And I think just in general, that gets, it's very easy to get lost in, in the numbers otherwise and forget that behind the subscription business is people trying to, you know, trying to in some way make their life a little bit more enjoyable or a little bit more um, easy. So starting with the people and the experience you're trying to create. That sounds so obvious, but 
you can get tunnel vision when you're just trying to do everything and forget to actually speak to your customers or your potential customers. I think that's great advice. And how about for you? Do you subscribe to any physical subscription products? Do you have anything coming to your house regularly? Oh, <laughs> um, that actually like makes me think that another piece of advice I would give is, Please, yeah. <laughs> is like making sure that you, you like live up to the thing you're saying you want to offer your customer, making sure that you offer it to yourself. Because I think particularly as founders, there's this general cultural notion that it's okay for you to almost like suffer in the process, you know, that it's meant to be hard work. And that if you're not um, working 24 seven, that you're not doing something right. But now I, I respect, um, you know, anyway, so that, that comes back to the question, do I subscribe to anything? Meaning like, yes, I subscribe to my own candles. So I, I actually, we, everyone on our team gets a subscription to our candles, partly so that we can literally just like check everything. And mm -hmm. um, sometimes we learn things about the package arriving just by having it arrive to our own front doors. Um, and then I subscribe to coffee um, and uh, that's just such an obvious one. And <laughs> I, I go with one that is sort of a story driven coffee piece where like the coffee, you know, you learn a bit about the farmer and you know where the coffee came from which again for me like makes the coffee more fun to know to think about where it was grown and and how it was grown um but other than that uh maybe back to the piece of treating yourself well you know like we 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 still invest a lot into the company and and it means that my my disposable income like i think a lot about where I put it. And so I'm not such a big consumer anymore. I think I've even learned maybe in this journey, uh, and that's something maybe that's sacrilege for me to say on here. But um, yeah, I really think a lot about what what do I really need versus what do I want? Um, and, you know, still not, that could sound like a joyless statement, you know, like, oh, but but I think it's sort of fun to realize sometimes we do live in a world where we are told, we you know, like, you must want this and you must want that, you need, and to sort of, take a little breath before then. So I'm a little better than I used to be, I think, at actually um, not, not purchasing things. Um, and I feel, I feel good with that. So that's just my personal um, stance. Uh, and so coffee and candles and are my two subscription things. <laughs> that's great. That little minimalist intentional lifestyle. I like that. I as well subscribe to uh, our local coffee roastery. It's so fun to support them. Um, one more question for you. I'll, I'll reveal. So my coworker, Callie, who um, wanted me to mention, she absolutely loved Green Market, this candle scent you guys put out. And she said, and I quote, I have been savoring it, <laughs> picking her moments to burn it because she loves it so much. And she said, it's a, it's a cool, crisp day at the market. And so I wonder, if, is there any candle you guys have had recently in any box in these seasons that you've just really adored and have savored? Yeah. Um... Um, our most recent new scent was definitely a big hit. It was called Canyons. And the idea was capturing the smell of, we, we, we don't ever name the scents after places, but we did have the idea of like Santa Fe. If, if, if you've been there, there's, everyone talks about how the air smells in Santa Fe and it's like a mix of pine trees. They have these trees called Pinon. Um, but then this notion that like just desert has a smell. So we were playing with smells that, maybe don't even exist in the desert, but they bring to mind. So we had like some saffron in there because it's orange. And so almost subliminally, if you have this tiny little bit of saffron, 
it can like create more of an experience of the almost like the color scape that you sort of the synesthesia. So that scent, I think people we didn't really know what to expect when we were like, this is the smell of the desert canyons. Um, and yet people really loved the scent and um, it was just a big hit. So that was fun to develop that scent. And, you know, definitely one of the, the fun things about running a candle company is getting to pick smells you want to bring to life and then going down that, that rabbit hole. Yeah, that's so neat. Crafting these evocative stories by putting in little pieces of that. That's awesome. Well, Stephen, we want to thank you so much for joining us and we wish you guys and Keep Candles the best of luck for the rest of the year. All right, perfect. Well, thanks for having me and thanks thanks to Recharge for, for helping us run the subscription as well as we do. Thank you. We want to thank Stephen once again for joining us. If you're interested in Keep Candles, you can head over to keepcandles.bk. And if you're looking for more of our episodes, you can check us out at rechargepayments.com slash hit subscribe.